All right. It is an honor, Pastor. Thank you. And uh, to be able to continue this series doing one of my favorite things in life, witnessing for Jesus. And so if you're saved and you're born again, it ought to be your favorite thing too. We're right up there on the top. Now, uh, let's start out first with the key verse for our study. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, before we have a word of prayer, let me just tell you, I hate to tell you, tell my Catholic friends this, but monasteries, okay, monasteries and nunneries are not biblical. Sorry. You cannot witness to men while you're sitting, usually in silence, in some building in the mountains somewhere. You are not going to be reaching the world. And Jesus said, go into all the world. The only way it's going to be done is by letting your light shine before men. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. We just thank you for your wonderful watch care over us. We pray for those who are suffering right now, whether their suffering is financial or emotional or physical. We ask you now that you'll intervene in their behalf, help them to not only enjoy our Bible study tonight, but to take it to heart and realize that God still has a job for all of us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let your light so shine before men. Now, it's a simple question. Is your candle lit before the Lord Jesus, before men? Is it? Guess which end of that the devil would rather have you on? Yeah. He'd rather put your light out. Now, if that meant putting you in a box and burying you six feet under, he'd probably do that too. But as we're taught in the book of Job, nothing happens to us, but what it doesn't have the imprimatur of God on it. He protects his children. And when he doesn't, he has a greater reason for it than we can even imagine. But God does want our light to shine before men. Because if we don't, it's in danger of going out. And when your light goes out, the devil wins. If your light is not shining before men, he wins. Because that's what he wants. He'd like you to be in a monastery somewhere in the mountains, but if he can't, he wants to silence you right where you are. So, how do you put out a candle? Now, let me show you some of the ways that a candle can be put out. You probably use several of these. You can do the birthday thing. You can blow it out. You can snuff it out. In some of the big European cathedrals and basilicas, they have people that their full-time job is to go around and snuff all the candles after a service. Hundreds of them with these big, long snuffer things. You can snuff a candle out. You can starve a candle of oxygen. All you got to do is turn a uh, jar over or a glass over and put it over the top. A few seconds, it'll be gone. No more oxygen. You can also dump water on it. And that'll put a candle out in a hurry. You can also pinch it out. I mean, you can just lick your fingers and just grab the wick and it'll go right out and it won't burn you. 
And another way you can do it is you can freeze it out. If you take a candle and set it in a freezer, within just a few seconds it'll go out because it has to have a certain amount of cold or a certain amount of te a certain temperature or it just won't burn. Or there are electronic ways to do it. In fact, the United States was the inventor of the, the gizmo that can actually be used to put out fires. Uh, they just point this, this uh, oral piece of equipment at fire and the fire immediately goes out. Problem is, any human being standing in the line of that also loses their hearing. And so it doesn't, they haven't figured out a practical use for it yet, but there are ways you can put a candle out with sound. And then, of course, you can just let it burn and eventually it will just burn itself out. Now, why do I show you this? Because the devil wants to burn your candle out, right? Yes or no? Okay. You think he doesn't have a whole battery of ways to try to do that? He has a slew of tools that he wants to use. And he'll use any of them that he has to try to put your candle out, to try to snuff out your witness for the Lord. This painting is called Lost, Lost Hopes, painted by George Frederick Watts in 1886. I taught art for 18 years in my high school in Hawaii, and this is one of the paintings I made my high school students always had to evaluate. And uh, this girl has no strings on her lyre, her harp, no strings. And she's blindfolded and doubled over. Kind of reminds me of America right now, but never mind, we won't go there, okay? It's a picture of sadness. It, there's nothing happy about this painting. But that's exactly what the devil wants to do to your life. In the movie, years ago, there was a movie called Never Ending Story. I, I, anyone, how many in here have seen the Never Ending Story? All right, here's your assignment before next week. Go get the Never Ending Story and watch it. And yes, your children can watch it with you. It is a family movie. But at one point, this young man down here, his name's Atreyu, at the very end of the world, he ends up face to face with an enemy that has been seeking him the whole time named Gamork. Now Gamork doesn't know that this is Atreyu, and so Atreyu asks him, what are you doing? Who are you seeking? And then he tells him, I'm seeking to destroy everyone's life, anyone I can find. And Atreyu asks him, why? And Gamork says this, because people without dreams lose their hopes, and people who have no hope are easy to control. Now then Gamork finds out that this kid he's talking to is Atreyu, that he's been hunting all this time, and he tries to kill him, but he ends up losing. Long story, go, go watch the movie. You'll be blessed. I love this slide when I found it, probably about 10 years ago. It shows the lion the great lion. It was an illustration used in one of the Chronicles of Narnia books, but it shows the great lion, Aslan. All he's doing is roaring, and he drives the darkness away with his roar. I, I, that is a picture by C.S. Lewis of what Jesus Christ can do in our life. He can drive the darkness out of our life. Many years ago, a poem was written, and this poem was written by Mr. Dylan Thomas, and one of the lines in his great epic is, Go not, or do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Now, it's a powerful poem, okay? It's a powerful poem, but it means about death. 
Don't ever give up. But can I take it tonight and apply it in a different way? A lot of Christians just give up their witness way too early, way too easy. We need to learn to rage, rage against the dying of the light. Don't surrender to the devil's whims. Don't surrender to the devil's will. No matter how many ways he has to try to snuff out your candle, we only win when we let our candle shine before men. So what does it mean to witness? What does that mean to witness? Well, last week, Brother Lane did a good job of explaining that. Pastor also explained it very clearly. You know what this is, courtroom. I don't know how many have seen it. I won't ask for a show of hands. But you may have been in it for, uh, I don't think anyone here was on, on the judge's bench. Maybe. I don't know you. But uh, uh, you may have been there as a witness. You may have been there in the jury box. Hopefully you weren't there on the perpetrator's table, okay? Hopefully not. But uh, listen, what it means is this. It is an act of testimony that bears evidence to personal knowledge to reveal or share truth. It is not the witness's job to say, he's guilty, send him to jail. That's not his job. His job is simply to testify to what he knows is true. Period. There are other people's job is to take it to the next level. To witness. And before you do, they always say, do you solemnly swear, or they used to, do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. I like that oath, and by the way, it's another evidence that America is turning her back on God. But that's another thing entirely. And so this is, will you tell the truth? That's all they're saying. So what does it mean to be a good witness? Actually, there's four parts to being a good witness. Number one is you have personal knowledge. They wouldn't call you to the courtroom if you didn't have personal knowledge about something. Otherwise, why have you in the room? So you have personal knowledge. The second characteristic of a witness is you're willing to make that knowledge public. You're willing to tell what knowledge you have to others. The third characteristic of a witness is you know of others that need to hear it. That in other words, what you have to say is important enough that others need to hear what you have to say. And the fourth characteristic of a witness is that you will share what you know honestly. No lies. Honestly. So those are the four characteristics of a witness. Okay? They're pretty simple. They're not deep. Now let's, as we move on in discussing this subject, let's talk to you about five myths regarding witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Five myths about witnessing. Number one, Jesus won't mind if you don't. That is not true. And he has made that clear in the Gospel of Matthew. He has made it clear in his parables about taking a coin and burying it in the ground instead of doing something with it. He has made that clear through the book of Romans and several places in the Pauline epistles. It is very evident, very clear. You cannot miss the fact that God wants us to speak in his behalf. Because he says, He that testifieth or speaks of me before men, him 
Well, if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. If you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. And so he intends for us to speak up. Number two myth. Being a silent witness is just as good as being a vocal witness. No, it isn't. They preached and taught both verbal exercises daily and in the temple. They cease not. Those are vocal exercises. Now, by silent witness, that means people see that you're a godly Christian. Listen, I know that works. When I was in the army, uh, it works. In fact, when you bow your head to pray over your meal in a restaurant, that is a silent witness. And there's nothing wrong with it. You ought to live a godly life and a godly character. But that's not enough. Jesus said, you have to speak up for me. A third myth is you need a lot of Bible knowledge before you can do it. No, you really don't. You have a testimony. Dr. David Cavan was my pastor when I was here at Baptist Bible College. Dr. Cavan told of this big old coal oil worker uh, in, uh, when he was down in Oklahoma that came to, that got saved. He led him to the Lord in his own living room. This big old guy was six foot six and he weighed about 300 pounds. And he knelt right there beside the hill. He told Brother Kevin, I need to get saved right now. Brother Kevin knelt with him. Now, if you've ever met Brother Kevin, he's only about this tall. And here's this huge giant. And so he got up off his knees after he got saved. And he said, preacher, I have somebody else I want you to save. And he grabbed the family Bible that was laying on the coffee table under his arm and said, follow me. He went out of the house, walked across the street. Knocked on the door. Another big oil worker opened it up and he said, this here's a preacher and he came to save you. Now let us in. <laughs> Brother Kevin's thinking, if these two guys ever got mad at me, I'm dead. And so he goes in and this guy, he says, now get down on your knees. He told the guy, get down. And Brother Kevin said, I got this, okay. I got this. It was hilarious. Listen. You need a lot of Bible? No, you don't. That guy was a soul winner and all he did was scoop up a family Bible. He didn't know nothing about the Word of God. And he just walked across the street and he said, you're going to do what I did, period. Well, okay, now that's a little gruff of a testimony. It still works. And it worked that day because that guy got saved. Now, another myth is that soul winning and witnessing are the same thing. No, they're not. You know soul winning is only mentioned once in the Bible? Do you know witnessing is mentioned over a hundred times? There's a difference. And we'll talk more about the distinctions, the nuances. How many of you ever been a salesman in here? Anyone ever been a salesman? Okay, I was. The first two years I got here to Bible college, I worked for House of Quality out uh, South Campbell, and then I worked for Lustercraft on, uh, on Campbell. And uh, I tell you, we still have the cookware, and it's 40-some years old and shines like brand new. But anyway, that's another... That's another story entirely. You know why some salesmen are good and some salesmen don't seem to pull in the numbers? is because some are closers and some aren't. This is exactly the same thing about witnessing and soul winning. Soul winning is being a closer. Witnessing is simply sharing the word of God with someone, being a link in their chain. Now ideally, yes, we'd love to close on every person we talk to. Sometimes it's just not possible. So all you can be is a link in someone's chain that may ultimately lead them to coming to Christ. So they are not the same thing. They're both important, but they're not the same. 
and then you must be a closer to be a good witness. No, you can be a good witness even if you're too nervous or too weak. People will use their personality. I'm just not made like that. I'm too shy. I just can't do it, and therefore I'm off the hook, and I don't have to witness. Wrong. You are to speak up and be a witness. It doesn't matter whether you have the temerity to lead someone to Christ or not. They are not the same thing, but you don't get off the hook just because you say, I'm too shy to lead somebody to Christ. And by the way, once you do, once you do it one time, guess what? It's like catching fish. Once you pull one in the boat, you're going, there's got to be more down there. I mean, in the Battle of Fredericksburg, a Confederate soldier, great big guy, six foot seven, his feet almost hung on the ground when he rode his horse. He jumped over the wall, ran out, found a, a Yankee lieutenant on a horse, jerked him down, punched him in the face, threw him over his shoulder and drug him back to the line. When he got back there, his colonel said, where in the world did you get him? He said, I got him over there. There's a whole bunch of them. Go get you one. <laughs> There's a lot of souls. And once you do it, you get hungry for it. Now, five notable truths about witnessing. Number one, your witness may be the only thing someone has. You could be the absolute last link in that person's chain. God has had enough, and their death day is tomorrow, and you're the last person that that's going to talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to tell you, that's a sobering thought, that you could be God's last straw for someone's life. And that adds a little bit of impetus to what we're doing, amen? When you think about something like that. So our witness may be all that someone has. And number two, witnessing earns many needed blessings. How many of you like being blessed by God? Well, the Bible says that when you lead someone to Christ, you not only cover a multitude of sins, but the Bible says you'll be blessed because of it. You want to be blessed by God, and God loves people that talk about him, and he'll bless your life for doing things. Number three, witnessing is an opportunity-based duty. Sometimes we go out door to door. Sometimes opportunity presents itself in that way. But sometimes they're sitting right across the table from you at work. It's an opportunity-based occasion. When I was a salesman, I was selling out in Joplin. And my sales day was done. I needed to get back early. I was preparing for a Sunday school class. So I was on my way, and I got to uh, Carthage, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's Carthage. It's halfway, just about. And I was nearing Carthage, and there was a guy walking alongside the road, and he had a bandana tied around his head, jailhouse tats on both of his arms, uh, one of those tank top leather-looking jackets, scruffy old pair of denim jeans, and I'm driving along in my Mercury Monarch, and I see him, and I look at him, and I size him up, and I say, oh, I, I don't want him to say, I don't want a headline to read, and he was never heard from again. <laughs> so I go on past him. I don't even get a few hundred yards past this guy, and my red light comes on my dashboard. Stupid piece of junk. <laughs> so I pull, and it was a brand new car, but it was a lemon. But I pulled into, the, uh, into a, a strip mall there, and I got out and I opened the hood. The radiator wasn't hot. The oil was fine. And I wanted to just kick the thing, you stupid piece of junk. So I shut the hood down. Well, in the meanwhile, this guy had walked all the way past me again. Kept going down the road. 
So I got back in the car and I started up and I pulled out on the road and there he was again, same guy. I said, okay, all right, God, if he kills me, I just know you want me to be dead, okay? <laughs> and so I stopped. I said, you need a ride? He said, sure. And so he got in the car. Long story short, the guy accepted Christ as his personal savior. He said, where should I go to church? I told him about Memorial Baptist Church in Joplin where I had just preached. I said, you need to go back because he told me he lived in Joplin. I said, you need to go to that church. Here's what I found out later. He not only went to that church, he got saved at that church or baptized at that church and became later a deacon of that church. Sometimes it's an opportunity based. God brings them right to you and says, do it. Number four, not to witness is equal to being ashamed of Jesus. I'm sorry, there's no better way to paint it. There's no other way, no better way it can be said. I'm sorry. If you have an opportunity and you don't do it, and God has presented you the opportunity, it's the same as saying, I'm ashamed of Jesus. I don't want to talk about him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not ready to send anybody to the closet or have time out because of it, because we've all done it. We've all been in a bad mood or something, and I'm just afraid if he says the wrong thing, I'm going to punch him out. And I wouldn't be a good witness for Jesus. We've all been there and passed up opportunities. But nevertheless, remember, just keep in the back of your mind that if you won't speak up for Jesus, it's the same as being ashamed. And then you need to understand there are many ways to witness. And during this COVID-19 pandemic, let me tell you something. Folks, we got to be inventive. We got to be creative. There has to be other ways to witness. I mean, some of what we just, we can't go do anymore like we used to do. And so we got to learn to be creative. And our pastor's pretty creative at coming up with stuff. So let's talk about some of those creative ways. Number one is verbal. You can always witness verbally. Ultimately, that's what you have to do. Whether you're talking about preaching in front of a crowd or just having a conversation with someone and talking softly to them or storytelling. Did you know that there are professional storytellers? My first cousin is one. And he actually gets hired to go to things and he tells stories. And some of his stories will get you right on the edge of your seat. I mean, he's amazing. It's a gift. Do you know that's exactly what Jesus was? Do you know that one of Jesus' nicknames that's used for him in Renaissance painting is the yarn winder? They call him the yarn winder. That's, just, that's a, simply a Renaissance term for a storyteller. Behold the parable. A certain man had two sons. You know what Jesus is doing? He's telling a story that's got a heavenly meaning. So learn to be, or signing. We taught sign language in our high school in Hawaii. We did it on purpose because I'm going to tell you something. These kids were soul winners with their signing because they would start by just talking with their hands and I still don't know much. I know this is God and I know this is Jesus and I know uh, this is love. That's about as much as I know. And so, oh, and this is me. Okay. But my kids would go out there and they would find people that were deaf and start talking to them. And the, the deaf people were so glad to just have somebody talk to them. And they could go right into witnessing for Jesus. And it was absolutely amazing to see them at work. So you, you got to do that. you got to do verbal. Then another way is literary. Literary, we can all do that. I mean, pastors got a whole bunch of them out there on a track rack. Okay, and, But there's more ways than just tracks. That's in the upper right-hand corner. 
There's letters. Have you ever written a personal letter? I mean, a per do you know that's what Paul's epistles were, several of them? Were just personal letters? You ever written a personal letter to someone that you'd like to be saved? My brother Dave hated me for some reason. And we won't go into all of it. He hated when I talked to him about the gospel. I mean, my wife met him for the first time, and he shook his fist in my face and told me and Karen to get our Baptist you-know-whats out of his house and don't ever come back just for witnessing about Jesus. So I wrote him a personal letter. Now, I know he read it because Marlene told me years later, my sister-in-law told me he read it. Oh, he read it. And I just shared the gospel with him. In fact, every one of my brothers that despised the gospel when I gave it to them, every one of them got a, a personal letter from me, and every one of them read it, and every one of them are without excuse. And I pray that they're all, all saved. I know at least two of them got saved. Dave got saved, dying of cancer, and I hope Frank did. I know Ed still believed in aliens and UFOs. There is no way he got saved. Willie died of carbon monoxide poisoning in his garage because his, his wife wouldn't let him come in the house to beat him to death, beat her to death because he was a drunk. So at least a couple of my brothers, I think, may have had an opportunity to be saved. But you can do it with a personal letter. You give out gospel tracts. Hand gospel tracts to them. You can give them books. Here's a book. Read, read this book. Or you can use advertisements. A lot of farmers, you ever gone out driving on the highways? Farmers, they got big plots of land. They put big old signs right out by the road about Jesus. It's their land. They can put any sign out there they want. And they put advertisements out there for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Another way is media. You can use media. And in this day and age, it's, it's probably preferable to a lot of the other. Um, there are television shows that can be used, programming. There's radio ministry. I had a radio minister in on the island of Kauai for two years. And souls were saved through the radio ministry and got to disciple people. There are email today, chat rooms and such. Now, I don't know whether Amazon or Facebook or Twitter's watching you. Ah, so what? They're all going to answer to God for it. And then you can always send them CDs, DVDs of favorite sermons, and so on. Then another way is helps, ministries of helps. There's a lot of ways to do it. There are food banks. You can collect food. There are serving of meals. Some, some religious faiths are actually better at that than Baptists are. And God bless them for what they're doing. I don't criticize what they're doing. They're helping our community. That's good. Jesus said, these you ought to have done and not left the other undone. But it's a good thing. Or there are clinics. Mrs. Lyons in the Philippines. Not only did Boyd start churches in a college, but Mrs. Lyons started medical clinics. She started something like 20 medical clinics. And the Filipinos over there just lined up to go to those clinics. But the only one thing was every single person that came in had to be witnessed to. That was one of the conditions, because we're not only here to see, heal your body, we want to heal your soul too. She was quite a woman. And then there's benevolence. There's a lot of things that you can do with benevolence, uh, giving money. I had a man in my church in Hawaii. It was his desire, and he was not well-to-do. If you knew who he was and knew how he lived, you'd say, this guy is not a silver spoon in any way. But yet, I'd come to church, and he'd come up, and he'd hand me gift cards, and he'd say, Pastor, give these to whoever in the church needs them. He broke my heart. I realized, wow, here's a little ministry that he does that so many people just don't even do. 
and there are people in need. What a blessing to walk up to them and what an opportunity to share the gospel when you hand them a gift card and say, here, this is from our church. Now, can I talk to you about the Lord? It works. Ministries of helps. And then uh, finally is the uh, ministry of prayer. There's, there's uh, there, uh, well, there may be one more after this, but anyway, ministry of prayer. Uh, we don't discount that in this church, do we? That's very important. You can pray for your missionaries. Pray before you get out of your car on visitation. You can offer up sympathy to someone when you go to a funeral. And public meals, always pray. I prayed all the time over my meals. Everywhere Karen and I and the kids went, we always prayed over meals. Didn't matter if we were in public. Three times now in almost 50 years of salvation, three times I've had people at restaurants come up to me and say, I noticed you prayed over your meal. Are you a Christian? Two of the times it was because they were Christians. And one of the times it was because, can I ask you a couple questions? And I got a chance to actually sit and talk with them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn to pray. There's power in prayer. The last one then is gratitude. Ministry of gratitude. Do you know one of the 27 things Paul says mark the generation of the last days in 2 Timothy chapter number 3? One of them is unthankful. Now there's always been unthankful people in all ages. But today it seems to be worse than ever before and getting worse by the day. There's a lot of ways that we can do this. Write a thank you card to someone and in it take time to witness. You can be personal and thank them in person, chance to talk. You can be proactive with gift cards. You can give them something for a special occasion. The personal uh, one, uh, I burned up my sister's car once and she had to come get me in her other car and I wasn't saved and she was and she knew I hated her preaching to me all the time but after you burned up her car it's really hard to say I don't want you to preach to me <laughs> in the middle of winter with three feet of snow on the ground picking you up I listened to the gospel all the way home, and I think she knew this was a glorious opportunity. <laughs> so listen, three important cons consistencies to be faithful. Speak out. Don't be afraid to speak out, okay? Give out the gospel. Give it out. Carry gospel tracts. They don't have to be, I mean, have ones that say thank you for your service, for restaurants. There's a thousand ways you can give out the gospel. And then learn to live it out too because people are watching. We are epistles known and read of men. They're watching to see whether your car starts on a Sunday morning to go to church. They know. I had a lady when I was back here and uh, I had just become a BBF missionary switching from CMC and, uh, in, and this black family lived right across the street from us. And they thought we were bigots. We moved, it was like a dead-end street, and I guess they thought we were white bigots or something. And then one day, Isaac Tony came. He was one of my deacons on the island of Kauai. Wonderfulest black man you've ever met in your life. He came, uh, pulled into the driveway, got out of his car, walked up. We hugged each other right in the driveway, and he brought his daughter, his daughter Sheba, and uh, we just had such a great time fellowship. We were laughing, and the neighbors was outside working, and they saw that. And it wasn't long after that, a missionary friend 
and uh, they're Puerto Rican and very dark skinned. And he came and stopped at my house, got out, and we did the exact same thing. Guess what? That guy finally came over to our house and he, he said, uh, hey, would you help me with something? Went out there and helped him with it. They realized at that moment that just as we learned the other night, God hath made us all of one blood. There isn't a different salvation for one and another salvation for the other. It's the same red blood of Jesus that saves us all. The most important witness ingredient, though, is this. Having metal, courage, fearless, confident, brave, true, fortitude, determined, spirited. You know what the Bible calls it? In a word, boldness. You want to know what the true gift of the Holy Spirit is? It ain't tongues. It's not babbling some stupid thing. It ain't the power to heal. I mean, I remember a Catherine Kuhlman uh, healing, and some of you are just aren't old enough to remember good old St. Catherine. 25,000 people gathered in the Blaisdell Hall in, in Honolulu, Hawaii, and she says, somebody's having stomach problems here. About 7,000 people are under her hand, and I'll bet you one of them 7,000 have got stomach problems. <laughs> we won't go there, okay? Don't get me on this one. I had a deacon in my church at Lanakila Baptist who worked with Benny Hinn and knows the inside story of what goes on with that stuff. And he said when he saw it, he broke and said, this can't be of God. And walked away. Another story. It's boldness. The Greek word that's used is right here. Paris, Paris, parousia. Parousia. And it means this. To be blunt. To be frank. To be honest. To be confident. To speak with audacity. Did we not tell you to no longer speak in the name of Jesus? <laughs> uh, you decide whether it's better for us to obey men or God. As for us, the apostle said, we'll obey God. Amen. That's audacity, right in their face. This is the one thing, this one thing is the primary gift, boldness of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a little walk. Get your Bible. We're going to take a little walk. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll just look up some of these in the book of Acts. But these that are in Ephesians and Philippians, they're the same. They're the same. Chapter 1, verse 8. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's go now to chapter 4, verse number 13. Now when they saw the what? Boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Look at verse number 29, same chapter. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all what? They may speak thy word. Look at verse 31, same chapter. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake in tongues and healed everybody. No. The true gift of the Holy Spirit, they spake the word of God with what? Boldness. No fear. Go now to chapter 9. Look at verse 27. It says, But Barnabas took him, that is Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached, what? Boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Same chapter, verse 29. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians but they went about to slay him. Now jump up to chapter 14. Are you getting a connection here? Chapter number 14. Look at verse number 3. Long time therefore abode they speaking what? Boldly in the Lord, which they gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Look at chapter 18, verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. This is about Apollos. He was a very bold speaker. They recognized that quality. In chapter 19, now look at verse 8. And he went into the synagogue, Paul, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. You, you picking up on this? The number one sign of the Holy Spirit is to speak without fear. That's what witnessing's about. To have boldness in your heart for the Lord. And what is the opposite of boldness? Eh, it's this. To be timid. To be scared. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with fear. Even when you witness, it's fear. Uh, they say of a soldier, fear or a courageous soldier is simply a soldier that even though he's afraid, has put his boots on. You just got to go. So don't be afraid. You just got to dive in. Just do it. Just dive in. Up in northern Minnesota, I, we had a cabin up there on that lake up there that circled. It's huge. You get out in the middle of the lake, you can't see land anywhere. It's like being in the middle of an ocean. But it's called Leech Lake. And those critters, like you see that one right there, there are tens of thousands, millions in that lake. And they're about a foot long. And they swim undulating through the water. Sometimes they swim flat. Sometimes they swim sideways. But they're all over the place. I mean, you walk down to the river's edge, you'll be lucky. If you start counting, you'll be up to 50 before you can turn around and walk away. They're everywhere. Now, fortunately for humans, they don't especially care for hot blood. They prefer the cold blood of a fish or a turtle or something like that. But they're everywhere. In fact, I've... I, I've picked them up before, put my hand underneath them like that and picked them up and they drape over both sides of my hand. And then they scrunch up and they get small. Can I tell you something that's interesting though about a leech? 
If you're a smoker and you let you hold him on your arm until he attaches to you, he'll only be attached to you for about two minutes and then he'll fall off dead. Yeah, what does that tell you about your blood? Never mind, that's another story, okay? I remember, and by the way, in the summer, the temperature of the water's at its hottest, about 50 degrees. And we used to go swimming. And I've seen people do this. That's no way to go into Leech Lake. Just run off the dock and jump. It'll turn your skin a pretty blue. But it'll still be fun pretty soon. You'll be used to the water and everything will be great. It's the same way with soul winning. It's the same way with witnessing. Just do it. Stop trying to wade into it slowly. Just do it. Okay. Now moving along here, we got just a couple more things to say. First, how do you witness to religions that don't even have this in common? They don't even believe in this. Like all of these that are pictured here. Well, let me tell you one thing that all of these do have in common. They all have one thing in common. None of them believe in an eternal hell. They either believe in some form of reincarnation or they believe if you do go to hell like Islam, it's just temporary till you burn up your sins or you pay for your sins and then you're paroled out of there and you get to be a good Muslim. None of them believe in an eternal hell. Okay? So every one of them got it in common. So what does that mean? And by the way, in Hawaii, I witnessed probably three quarters of those religions. Brother McCarty, I'll bet you in, in uh, Taiwan, you dealt with several of those right there. And by the way, as Springfield becomes more cosmopolitan, you may have to deal with them right here. I know that uh, Brother Alcorn, I don't know where, where are you at, Terry. He's already told me he's been witnessing to a Hindu fella. And so what do you do? Well, hardly ever, let me sit, sit something first. Hardly ever will you win them on your first try. You're not going to say just bow your head. If you do, they're just adding Jesus to their pantheon of gods. That's all. So you're not going to win them. It's going to take multiple occasions of witnessing. And the best seed, though, that you can plant in a quick witness, the best seed is a form of Pascal's wager. Who stands to lose the most? Let's suppose that you're right and I'm wrong. I lose nothing. I just get reincarnated as something else. But if I'm right and you're wrong, you're going to burn in hell forever. You lose everything. So who in this exchange stands to lose the most? Now that's only in a quick witness because uh, they usually get hostile to that too. So it's not always good. Th but that's if you only have a quick witness. Leave that seed. Plant that seed. You do not know how God can use it. Apart from that, that quick witness, the most effective way to witness to these folks is to build a relationship with them. Invite them over to dinner, you go over to their house to dinner, you have fellowship, go bowling, golfing, whatever. You build a relation, and then they start asking you questions. And you start answering their questions, and guess what? You don't know it, but you are building a fortress around them. And they don't even know that you're laying the blocks. Trying to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fortress of all men. So, but for all those with whom we do share at least a basic faith in the Bible, then the first thing you should do is share your testimony. That's a good place to start. Let me tell you how I got saved. I trusted Christ May 10th, 1972. And it doesn't have to be a long one. Don't have to, you can leave out all the details. Just be quick about it, but just tell them how you accepted Christ as your Savior. 
And after you share your testimony, then you take them to the Word of God. And guess what you do? The best way is the, called the Romans Road. Now, everyone in here, I suppose you already know the Romans Road. So I'm not going to belabor it. But let me tell you, the first thing is you need to explain the sinfulness of man. We are separated from God. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. There are other verses, but this is the simple four-step Romans Road. Number two, explain punishment for sin. That God has decreed that all who are living in sin shall be cast forever in the lake of fire. Romans 6 and verse number 23. Number three, explain the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Christ went to the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is our sacrifice. And by the way, most religions understand sacrifice to a deity. They get it. And then the fourth thing, of course, is you have to offer. Be a closer, or at least try. Offer to pray with them. Would you like to bow your head and trust Christ right now as you're saying? You may be surprised. I've witnessed to people the whole time I'm talking to them, they're going, yeah, oh, yes, yeah. And I get to the end and say, would you like to trust Christ as your Savior? No, no thanks. And I've witnessed to another guy, and it was like, oh, are you done yet? And it's just in his face was like, I am totally not listening to you. And I got to the end and I said, Arthur, would you like to trust Christ as your personal and Savior? And he said, yes, I need to be saved. Listen, man looketh on the outward appearance. Who looks on the heart? God looketh on the heart. So offer to pray with him. So never let your candle go out. Amen. Let's remember to be good witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ.